Chapter Nineteen of Wolf the Saxon by George Alfred Henty. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Stamford Bridge. Owing to the difficulty of getting the levies formed up and set in motion, the Norsemen had arrived on the ground and had taken up a defensive position before the English reached it. Had the force contained a strong body of housecarls, Wolf who had talked the matter over with the earls, would have advised that they should fight on the defensive and allow the Norsemen to attack. But with freshly raised troops, ready and eager for battle, but wanting the discipline that alone enables trained soldiers to endure patiently a long series of attacks, he thought that there was more chance of victory in attacking the enemy. Morcar commanded on the left, Edwin on the right, Wulf took up his position by the side of Morcar, and exchanged a few words with Osgod before advancing to the charge. "'This will be a right royal contest, master,' the latter said as he fingered his heavy axe. "'Never before have I seen a set battle like this. "'Do you keep close to me, Osgod?' "'That I am sure to do, master,' the latter broke in. "'Yes, I know that while we fight you will be by my side, but it may be that we shall have to fly.' The Norsemen outnumber us greatly, and their king is a host in himself. This is a good position to defend, but a bad one to fly from. The king's last words were a charge to me not to throw away my life, and therefore, while I shall fight as long as fighting can avail, I shall also do my best to save myself if we are defeated. As we came along, I kept near to the edge of the swamp, and some hundred yards back I marked a spot where, as it seemed to me, there was a sort of path worn either by broken men and outlaws who may dwell somewhere in its recesses or by men from a village beyond it for this point then i shall make if we are defeated it may be that it was not a path but at least it offers a chance of escape so when i give you the word keep close to my side osgod nodded his confidence in wolf was absolutely boundless and though he revolted at the thought of retreat he knew well that so long as a chance of victory remained, Wolf would not quit the field. When within two or three hundred yards of the enemy, Morcar advanced to the front of the line with his standard-bearer beside him. "'On, men!' he shouted, and with a yell the English poured down to the attack. The line of the Norsemen was on this side less strong than it was near the river where the king had posted himself, and the Norsemen gave way before the furious attack of the English. Morcar and many of his thanes fought in the front rank. Wulf was close beside him, and before their swords and the terrible axe of Osgod the invaders fell back foot by foot, and shouts of triumph rose from the English. But it was not for long. On the left Edwin could make no impression on the shield wall of the enemy, and presently their king caused his horns to blow the signal for attack, and his line, hitherto immovable, flung itself upon the English. The king, a head taller than any of his men, fought in their front rank, his terrible two-handed sword hewing down every man who opposed him. As the English gave way, the assault became more and more impetuous, and in a few minutes the English broke and fled all along the line. "'All is lost, Osgod,' Wolf said, as after fighting to the last he turned his back on the foe. The scene on the ridge was now terrible. The exulting Norsemen followed hard upon the flying English, 
uttering their shouts of victory and cutting down all they overtook hampered by the crowd in front of them great numbers of the english fell beneath the weapons of their pursuers others turned to the right or left and hundreds were smothered in the swamp by the river or in that on the other side once the flight began osgod placed himself in front of his master his powerful figure and his weight enabling him to push his way through the crowd of fugitives wulf kept close behind him and they followed the edge of the swamp until wulf saw the faint indication of a path he had before noticed turn off here osgod this is the place i spoke of let me go first i am the lightest the ground shook beneath their feet the slime oozed up to their ankles but moderating their pace now they sprang from tussock to tussock until two or three hundred yards from the edge of the swamp then they paused and looked round the work of slaughter was still proceeding along the edge of the swamp numbers of english could be seen some half emerged some fast disappearing in the din of the struggle none heard or heeded their cries each man was occupied solely with the thought of flight or slaughter some half a dozen of the fugitives seeing the two men were making their way across the swamp had followed in their footsteps slowly and cautiously wolf moved forward again sometimes a treacherous tuft gave way and he slipped waist-deep into the mire but osgod was always close at hand and his long arm enabled him to reach forward to his master from a firmer spot and to draw him from the bog after an hour's painful work the ground began to be firmer and before long they were safe in the forest beyond the swamp here for a while the party threw themselves down exhausted after an hour's rest the others asked wolf what they had best do there is but one thing to be done he replied make off to your homes the remnant of the army will reach york and the norsemen will doubtless surround the city and lay siege to it for the present our cause is lost and there is naught for us to do but to try and save our lives which have been spared well nigh by a miracle keeping south through the forest wolf and his follower were several hours before they emerged from its shade another three miles walking brought them to a village where they learned that they were six miles west of selby here they obtained some food and then bearing off so as to strike the south road arrived soon after nightfall at the house of the thane who had supplied them with their last change of horses on their way north the news they brought excited the greatest consternation but their host saw at once that the only hope now was that harold might bring help and at once placed the two horses which they had ridden to his house at their disposal wolf and osgod mounted at once and travelled southwards at a speed equal to that at which they had journeyed north when within a few miles of peterborough they received news that seemed almost too good to be true harold at the head of a great army had already reached that town and was pressing north at the top of his speed from east and west he was being joined by the levies of the thanes riding forward to peterborough they found the town crowded with troops who as they learned were to march forward again in half an hour wolf at once made his way to the monastery in which harold was lodged i need not ask your news wulf harold said as covered with dust and mire and almost reeling with exhaustion the young thane entered his private closet the army of the northern earls has been well-nigh destroyed two miles from york 
whether the earls themselves escaped i know not for i left the field while the slaughter was still going on york will be at once besieged and as most of its fighting men went out to the battle and a large proportion must have been slain i fear that it can resist but a short time the attack of the norsemen it was good news indeed when i heard that you were advancing north it's bad tidings that you bring wolf but not unexpected directly i heard that the enemy's fleet were off our northern coast and were burning and pillaging unopposed i speedily gathered what force i could in the south and sending on messengers ahead to summon the levies of east anglia to join me on the way started north yesterday the news reached me that a great fleet of norway had sailed up the humber and i saw that i should be too late to join edward and morcar before they were forced to give battle before york now tell me of the fight and how you managed to escape for i see by your mail coat and helmet which are dinted and frayed and the steel rings shorn off in many places that you were in the thick of it wulf related the story of the battle and the manner in which he had escaped you did wisely wulf to mark a way of retreat before the battle commenced a good general should ever be prepared for defeat as well as for victory so the levies fought well they did my lord they engaged the norsemen gallantly and well much better indeed than i had looked for them to do and the day went favourably until the king of norway with his picked men threw themselves upon them even after that they fought sturdily for a short time and had there been but a body of housecarls to form a shield wall behind which they could have rallied the day might still have been theirs but you look ill my lord i was on a bed of sickness when the news came but it was no time for lying abed for the first two or three days marches i was carried on a litter but i am now well enough to sit my horse it cost me a sore struggle to leave the south unguarded simply because my orders were not obeyed here in the north but there was no help for it and we have been marching well nigh night and day in hopes that we might bring this matter to a close and return south before the norman fleet appears off the coast we have already marched farther than would seem possible in the time but the men are all in good heart and eager to meet the norsemen and i have addressed them and shown them the urgent necessity for speed we shall set forward again in half an hour they have had six hours for rest so they can do another fifty miles before they halt again you can tarry here for a day to rest yourself and then can ride on and overtake us i will go down and take a plunge in the river wolf said and should be ready to mount again by the time the rearguard is in motion i could have kept on to london had it been needful and should be quite ready to proceed with the army they were within a day's march of york when the news came that the city had surrendered without waiting for an assault the king of norway had offered favourable terms a local gemot had been held and it had been agreed to make peace with harold of norway and not only to receive him as king but to join him in his warfare against the south hostages were given for their fidelity to their new lord who in return gave hostages to york for the good conduct of his troops it was the city only that had so treacherously behaved and the surrender by no means included the whole province it was arranged however by the earls that hostages would be given for northumbria at large and they promised that a hundred and fifty of these should be handed over at stamford bridge eight miles northeast of the city here there was a palace of the old northumbrian kings the spot was favourable for the encampment of an army 
for the country round was fertile and the bridge across the derwent afforded facilities for the collection of provisions over a large area the bridge was a wooden one the country on either side of the river was flat but considerably elevated above the stream with a slope down to it on both sides of the bridge the news of the surrender of york made no change in harold's plans he had come to give battle to the norsemen whether he did so under the walls of the northern capital or elsewhere accordingly he pressed rapidly forward in a few hours the army arrived in sight of york which had it resisted but a day longer would have been saved the humiliation of the surrender and treaty the invaders had all marched to stamford bridge and the people opened its gates and received with rejoicing the king whose authority they had the day before cast off beyond a short pause for food there was no delay harold's thoughts were on the south and he grudged every hour that delayed his return to his post there the men of the city and the survivors of the army defeated at fulford joined the force which kept on its way east to stamford bridge the invaders believing that northumbria lay at their feet and without a thought that harold was advancing were encamped in careless security on the low ground by the river the greater portion of their host had crossed the bridge their king tostig and many of the great chiefs had taken up their abode in the royal palace at aldby and were preparing to return to york where the king was to hold his court and formally assume the government and to proclaim the laws for his new kingdom already the cortege had set out clad not in warlike armour but in court habiliments when on the long road leading gently down to the river a cloud of dust and the sparkle of arms was seen there was little room for doubt as to the nature of the arriving force northumbria could gather no array that would venture thus to approach the army that had but five days before crushed the levies of the north it could only be harold himself who with the men of the south had thus unexpectedly arrived tostig at once proposed a retreat to the ships at rickle so that the whole army might be gathered together but harold harada strove to marshal his army for the battle at the same time sending off mounted messengers to summons the party left at the ships but while all was in confusion among the main body of the invaders on the eastern bank of the river while men were buckling on their armour and gathering in their ranks the cloud of war rolled rapidly down the descent and with a mighty shout the english vanguard fell upon the norsemen on the western bank valiantly they fought but there was no resisting the solid array of the english housecarls or thingmen as they were also called taken altogether unprepared and for the most part without their defensive armour the norsemen could offer no successful resistance to the english host great numbers were killed others were driven headlong across the bridge or were drowned in the stream which is said to have been literally choked with dead but for a time the advance of the english was stayed for one norseman a man of great stature and prodigious strength took post in the middle of the narrow bridge and barred the way to the english host but one foe could attack him at a time and so great was his strength and prowess that it is said that forty englishmen fell under the mighty blows of his two-handed sword and at last he was only overpowered by one who made his way along beneath the timbers of the bridge and stabbed him with his spear from below 
His gallant stand, however, had sufficed to give his countrymen time to complete their preparations, and the shield wall of the Norsemen stretched across the gentle ascent from the bridge. With his hands raised aloft, as a sign that his mission was a peaceful one, an English thane with twenty mounted horsemen rode across the bridge. He was met by the king, Tostig and his chiefs. Raising his voice, the thane addressed Tostig. I bring to Tostig the greeting and message of his brother King Harold. Let him return to his allegiance, and he shall again have the earldom of Northumberland. Nay, he shall have a third of the kingdom to rule together with the king. What then, Tostigar, shall be given to King Harold of Norway? Seven feet of English ground, the thane said sternly, or more perchance, seeing he is taller than other men. Return to King Harold of England, Tostig said, and bid him make ready for the battle. Never shall men say in Norway that I brought their king hither to England, and then went over to his foes. Harold's ambassador returned with his men across the river with Tostig's message and then in solid array the English thingmen moved forward to the attack. Had the King of Norway advanced to the end of the bridge, a battle would have been impossible, for the English could never have forced their way across. But the kings were equally anxious for a battle. Harold of Norway knew as well as the King of England that the host of Normandy was on the point of sailing, and it was as essential for him to crush the English army before the Normans landed as it was for Harold of England to dispose at once of the Norse invaders. There were three claimants for the English crown, and both kings felt the necessity of having their hands free to meet the Normans. Harold of Norway may well have believed that his host of tried warriors was capable of disposing of an army that, save for its small body of regular troops, was wholly unused to war. Therefore he held his array immovable while the English army crossed the bridge and formed up for battle. Steadily and firmly the solid line of the housecarls move up the ascent, and then as Harold's trumpet gave the signal of attack, flung themselves upon the shield wall of the Norsemen. The conflict was a terrible one. The heavy two-handed axes of the English clashed against the long two-handed swords of the Norsemen. Against such terrible weapons, wielded by such powerful arms, helmet and hauberk afforded but poor defence casks and the heads beneath them were cleft like eggshells under the terrible blows but the gaps thus made in the ranks were at once filled from behind and for hours the struggle continued with unabated vigour on both sides harold himself with a body of his thanes fought in the front line his position marked to his followers by his standard kept flying close behind him his great strength and height made him so formidable as an assailant that his standard generally flew well in advance of his fighting line, while on the other side the still greater height and strength of the King of Norway rendered him equally conspicuous. At last the obstinate valour of the English housecarls prevailed over the resistance of the fierce Norsemen, and the invading host was driven backwards step by step up the ascent until the level ground was reached. Here the battle again raged as fiercely as ever. In vain did Harold of Norway, followed by his bravest warriors, hurl himself upon the ranks of the English, his terrible sword carrying death in its path. In vain did his followers again and again strive to take the offensive. The English line ever bore up against their attacks. 
the battle was still undecided when as the sun was going down an english arrow pierced the throat of the giant king of norway how tostig who had fought throughout the day by his side fell we know not but he died as did the irish prince who had brought his followers to share in the plunder of england there fell too most of the bravest warriors of norway the last of the sea kings who had carried the banner known as the land waster far and wide over europe the slaughter was terrible and at nightfall the norsemen who survived broke and fled to the shelter of their ships never in the history of england was there a harder fought battle never were english valour and endurance more splendidly shown terrible too had been the losses on their side many of the king's bravest thanes had fallen and the ranks of the housecarls were fearfully thinned complete as had been the victory absolute as had been the destruction of their foes there was but little rejoicing in the english camp that night so exhausted were the troops by their long march and the desperate struggle of the day that they threw themselves down to sleep on the ground they had won thickly covered as it was with the bodies of friend and foe wulf throughout the day had fought close to harold osgod had kept close beside him and had warded off many a sweeping blow and cut down many a pressing enemy at the end of the day his left arm hung useless by his side well nigh cleft off by the blow of a norseman's sword wulf himself had escaped without a scratch thanks in a large measure to his followers watchfulness when the battle was over he was one of the few thanes who gathered round harold the latter felt no exultation at this victory it had cost him the flower of his army and numbers of his most valued thanes it had cost him too the life of a brother to whom in spite of his faults he had been deeply attached he knew that there was before him a struggle even more serious than that from which he had just emerged a victor and there was no saying how that struggle might end i thank god you are spared to me wolf he said as the young thane came up i marked you near me all through the battle and none fought more bravely it has been a terrible day and our victory is dearly purchased indeed i have sent a messenger to york praying that every monk skilled in surgery will at once hasten hither and that all men and boys shall come and help to collect the wounded and that such women as can aid will accompany them i cannot ask the men who have marched well nigh day and night since we left london and borne the brunt of the day's battle to do more england has need of their strength the messenger was to stop at helmsley and bid every soul left there to hurry to the field it is but two miles away and in half an hour they will be here the first thing for them to do is to carry water to the wounded there are no lack of vessels in the norseman's camp i'll go to the bridge my lord and take them in charge when they arrive and set them at the work you need rest as much as any wolf i can rest to-morrow wolf said and at any rate could not sleep to-night for i must see to osgod who i will i fear lose an arm i'm sorry to hear it harold said for one could ill spare so brave a fellow i saw the norseman going down under his axe and assuredly no man did more than he to-day i will tell him what you say my lord it will do him good i left him sitting down on the bank bemoaning himself that he might not be cured in time to fight the normans harold shook his head i would give half my estates wolf 
that he should be well enough to fight by your side in our first battle with the Normans. That would mean they would not land before two months had passed, and by that time I would have all the force of England gathered to receive them. As you are willing that it should be so, I will leave you in charge of the camp tonight. It will be three hours before help can arrive from York. Till then there is naught to do but to carry water to the wounded. When they arrive, the monks will dress the wounds, and the men and women carry such as can be moved down by the river, where they can be treated more easily than lying in the fields. Have a strict search made for the body of my brother, and place a guard over it. Swayan is in charge of the Norse camp. There is a great treasure there which shall tomorrow be partly divided among the troops. Wolf went at once down to the bridge, while Harold and his thanes lay down like the soldiers on the field of battle. In a short time men and women and children came in from Helmsley. Having been told what they were required for, they had brought with them jugs and drinking cups, and also a supply of torches. The first search was made over the ground west of the river. Here few English had fallen, but the Norsemen lay thickly. Wolf ordered that water should be given to all, foe as well as friend. The number of living was small, for the heavy two-handed axes had done their work thoroughly. When such as survived had been seen to, Wolf led the villagers over the bridge. Scatter right and left, he said, and then move forward. You cannot go wrong. Having seen them all at work, he hurried away to the spot where he had left Osgod sitting. He had, before leaving him, staunched the flow of blood by winding a bowstring round the arm above the wound and then twisting it tightly. How fares it with you, Osgod? Here is a ewer of water. That's good, Osgod said, after taking a mighty draught. Truly I felt as if the moisture of my body had all dried up, and not only my mouth but my whole frame was parched. Why, Osgod, Wolf exclaimed, as he held the torch he carried close to him, your arm has gone. That is so, master. An arm after the bone has been cleft through is of no use to anyone, so I thought the sooner I got rid of it the better, and having my knife handy I just cut through the flesh that remained. That was the end of it. Would that we could get rid of all our evils as readily. Tomorrow I will walk to York and get the wound seared. The king sent to York for aid directly the battle was over, and we shall have all the townsfolk here soon, among them monks and others skilled in the dressing of wounds. I told the king of your misfortune, and then he repeated what Harold had said. It does me good to hear that Harold is satisfied with me. I hope to strike many a good blow for him yet. How still it is here, Osgod! There is scarce a sound to be heard from all those lying around. There are but few with life in them, I reckon, Osgod said. A Norse sword and an English axe let out the life quickly when they strike fair. This blow fell on my arm as my axe was raised to strike, and it were well it did so, or it would have taken me in the neck. And then neither monk nor leech could have brought me back to life. Had it been my right arm, I would have leaf as been killed at once, for what good is a man without his right arm? You would have learned to use your left in time, Osgod. Now, if you can walk, come down to the river, and I will see that you are among the first attended to. I will lie down here, Osgod said, for in truth I feel as if I need sleep. For the last two days I have been scarce able to keep my eyes open, and now that I have had a drink I feel that a few hours' rest will do me more good than any monk. Osgod's words came slowly and heavily, and as he ended he lay down on his back. 
Wolf saw that it was best that he should sleep, and so left him. In two hours a great number of lights were seen along the road, and soon a crowd of men and women from York appeared, and scattered themselves over the battlefield the monks pouring balm into wounds and bandaging them up, while men and women carried the wounded as fast as they were attended to down to the river. The bodies of Tostig and of the King of Norway were both found, and a guard placed over them, and in the morning that of Tostig was carried to York for burial in the cathedral, while Harald Hadrada was buried where he fell. Harold sent messengers to the Norsemen's fleet, offering mercy to them if they would surrender and their chiefs came to York, and swear never again to raise their swords against England, an offer which was thankfully accepted, for the English fleet had entered the Humber, and their retreat was cut off. The next day the Norse chiefs went to York, and took the required oath, and were then escorted back to their ships. So terrible had been the slaughter, so complete the destruction of the invading army, that even including the guard that remained at the fleet, Twenty-four ships sufficed to carry away home the survivors of the mighty host. The task of burying the slain was too great to be undertaken, and for many years afterwards the field of battle was whitened with the bones of the invaders who had fallen there. On the day after the battle Harold returned with his army to York. Here all who had fallen away from the cause of England were pardoned. Measures were taken for making the fighting strength of the North available for the general defence of the country. The wounded were cared for in the houses of the citizens, and for five days the troops rested after their prodigious exertions. Early in the morning after the battle, Osgod's wound had been seared with red-hot irons. He had borne the pain unflinchingly, saying that he had suffered as much from burns more than once while learning his trade as an armourer. Wolf was not present, as he had thrown himself down to sleep as soon as he had been relieved at daylight, but he saw him before he started with the king for York. "'Yes, it hurts a bit, master,' Osgod replied in answer to his inquiries. "'I could not expect otherwise. You'll have to do without me for a few days. I've made friends with some peasants at Helmsley. I shall stay with them till the army marches south. If I were at York I should never keep quiet, and the monks tell me the quieter I am the sooner my wounds will heal. They are poor creatures, these monks. They wanted to make out that I might be two or three months before I was fit for service again. I told them it would be a shame to my manhood if in a fortnight I could not wield an axe again. It is not as if I had been brought up softly. I have burnt myself with hot irons many a time, and I know that a few days suffices to heal a sore. It's not the sore, Osgod. It's the veins that might burst out bleeding again. That is what they said, Master, but at present there is not much blood left in me, I think, and by the time it comes again my veins ought to have healed themselves. This plaguey bowstring hurts me well nigh as much as the smart of the irons, but the monks say I must bear it for a couple of days, when they will put on some tight bandages in its place, but if I can bear the pain it were better that it should be kept there for a week or two. Five days passed. The king laboured incessantly at making a settlement of the affairs of the north. The thanes came in from all Northumbria. They were full of thankfulness at the deliverance that had been wrought for them, and the victor of Stamford Bridge was far more to them than the king of England had ever been. All were received with kindness and courtesy, and Harold felt that at Stamford Bridge 
he had conquered not only the host of Norway, but the northern earldoms. On the evening of the fifth day, after the battle, they held a great banquet at York. The feasting was at its height when Harold was told that a messenger had arrived with urgent news, and the man was at once brought in. He had ridden in two days from the south, and brought the momentous news that on the third day after the victory of Stamford Bridge, the Norman host had landed in Sussex. End of chapter 19